Ronananian. Think about a car. Think about the complexity of a car. The electronics that go into a car. I never really appreciated it until this moment. This magic moment. So different and so new as like any other. Until I kissed you. The car doctor. When you shut the engine off, the windows would work. Okay. So what it's telling me is that we've probably got a bad ground or a corrosion somewhere in a connector. Welcome to the radio home of Ron and Anian, the car doctor. Since 1991, this is where car owners the world over turn to for their definitive opinion on automotive repair. If your mechanic's giving you a busy signal, pick up the phone and call in. The garage doors are open. But I am here to take your calls at 855-560-9900. And now, here's Ronnie. Hey, welcome. It's time to start your engines. And if they don't stick around for the next hour, I'm Ron and in the car doctor. And we're here at 855-560-9900 to talk about your car and everything that might be going right or wrong with it, whatever the case might be. We've uh, we've been here for the past, oh, I don't know, 26-plus years and talking to you about automotive. That's what this radio show uh, likes to do. That's what I like to do uh, during the during the weekend. During the week, I'm, a, I'm one of those mechanics that everybody loves to hate and, um, you know, just here fixing your car. So, But that's what this show is about. If you've got a question, you've got a problem, give us a call at 855-560-9900. Last hour, and um, we... we you know, we just finished our, our, our first hour for this weekend. Um, last hour, we were talking about oil and oil filters and um, all things that that entails. Tom, did you have a question? Or you're... No, 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 no. You just said you're the mechanic that everybody loves to hate, and I just want you to know that Tony and I just plain hate you. So, you know, it's well, not a problem. It's, 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 <laughs> it's an equal, I'm an equal opportunity offender. Hey, and um, there you go. See, no. that's, why, that's why we like you so much. Now, now, you see, everybody, it's in Tom's contract that he has to get on the air at least once a week, and it makes him feel good because then he can puff out his chest and say, although I have to tell you, Tom doesn't need to puff out his chest. His chest is... Um, Without him, we wouldn't be here. He can get us on the air with a juice can and a string in the middle of the Sahara Desert, and I've said that many a time. Um, and uh, we ha- we're going to write the book together when you retire, right, Tom? When we retire, Tom and I are going to write a book about episodes in, in, of self-syndicating a radio show and uh, with the things we've been through. And there are things that people just won't believe, and they're going to say, you're making it up. Right. Oh, no. No, we lived it. <laughs> so, And it always sounded good, the things that go on behind the scenes. So, um, you know, it's all there. Um, last hour, I was talking, we had our last call of the last hour about extended oil changes. And I didn't get a chance to finish. And I, while it's fresh on my mind, I just want to comment. We are headed towards extended oil drain intervals, absolutely positively. The industry wants it. The public wants it. I don't know if mechanics want it. When I say the industry, I think the manufacturers want it. The government wants it. So it's going to be here. It's here now, but it's going to be expanded further. Uh, you know, Conversations this week with, with several individuals, the 20,000-mile oil drain interval is coming. You can see it. I can already see the problems with it. Um, So suffice it to say that if you are using a filter and oil rated for that mileage, and in my mind, it's got to be rated for that mileage and a little bit more. I was always taught the 10% rule. You know, if enough is good, more is better, and too much is just enough. You want to have a little bit more. The biggest problem I've got is, and Charlie, our caller from the last hour, said it, 10,000 miles on his Toyota Camry, he wouldn't have anybody look at the car for a year. So what's going to happen What's going to happen with TPMS lights? You know, we, 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 with, with changes in temperature, Charlie lived in Maine. 
What's going to happen with changes in temperature? When the temperature goes up, the temperature goes down, the TPMS light's going to go on, it's going to go off, it's going to vary. He's going to be playing with changing tire pressure all the time. And how is that going to affect it? And yeah, now I get it. Somebody's going to say, well, he'll put nitrogen in it. Nitrogen's only good for so much, and that's not going to help it all by itself. So, you know, I can see... I can see the extended oil drain interval, but I can also see people paying mechanics for an in-between service. Okay, I'm ready for my 3,000-mile under-the-hood fluid check, filter check, and tire pressure check, and paying for that as a result because that service used to be part of an oil change. And by going to these longer drain intervals, we're taking that out. So just, just something to think about because nothing's for free. It doesn't work that way. By the way, this week... I signed up, and if anybody out there is on this website, bobistheoilguy.com. Um, evidently, some of my comments have raised some ire with some of the uh, attendees. And um, I signed in. I logged in. So I'll be out there trying to get some education, as they told me I needed. And um, But then again, I'm full of myself, so I'm not really quite sure. You know, well, what, just uh, the, well yeah. Tony and I have comments, but right. we'll, we'll reserve them. This is a I'm, family radio show. I'm full of myself, and you have an ego. But that's <laughs> there we go. That's, no, that's beside I, the point. I just wanted to make the comment, that, you know, about the oil change intervals and such. My my daughter is, you know, she doesn't she she doesn't drive very far. She goes to work. She comes home, and the other night it was like, oh my god, the tire pressure sensor light came on, and I took the opportunity to educate her because let's face it. The last time the oil was changed was back around Christmas time. It was at RA Automotive. She doesn't have that much mileage on it right now. Right. And I very bluntly have been busy the last three months. I haven't been paying attention, so I took the opportunity to teach her how to check the oil pressure, or the oil pressure, uh, the tire pressure, teach her how to take care of the tires, teach her how to pressurize them properly, told her to look at them about once every couple of weeks, and, you know, who's who's doing that with their kid? Well, and the, and the problem becomes... On the longer drain interval, who's going to do that? Now, on a, on a one-year or two- or three-year-old car, that works. The car is in good enough condition. The rims don't leak. Fluid leaks don't occur. That works. I've got a 2003 Tahoe. I'm going to tell this story. I'm not supposed to, but I'm going to. i got a 2003 Tahoe in the shop this week. It's got 148,000 miles on it. Show of hands, how many people out there own a Chevy Tahoe? Right. There's about a gazillion of them. All right, so there's three, 400,000 if you want to be more accurate. There's a bunch of them on the road. A bunch of them like this one rotted out the brake line, the fuel line. We're repairing it. We, we replaced the long fuel line over the top of the trans. We're replacing all the brake lines on the car. Welcome to the world of GM. This is what they do. You have to lower the gas tank to get to the brake lines. Lowered the gas tank. Gee, while we've got it out, I said to Tom, the customer, I said, Tom, why don't we put a fuel pump in it? The top lock ring holding the fuel pump down is so badly rusted, I'm afraid I need a tetanus shot standing next to the thing. All right? And let's get the fuel pump out of the way. It's going to be the price of the part. It's not going to be the labor all over again. He said, yeah, you're right. Order a fuel pump, get a fuel pump, go to take the lock ring off. The lock ring is so badly rusted to the tank that using a hand chisel after soaking it, all right, just using a hand chisel, tap, 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 it just disintegrates and falls into a, into a million pieces. Now I need a tank. Called up General Motors. Oh, a fuel tank for a 2003 Tahoe? That's obsolete. You can't get one of those anymore. Really? Well, there's got to be one around used. Called all around used, trying to find one. Nobody's got one. One guy had one. It had one, three of the, There's four lock tabs up top. It had one broken off. I could put three. Well, I've already got something that bad. I don't need another one. My point is this. We are so fixated on the extended oil drain interval 
It doesn't matter. The manufacturers are going to force us to get rid of the cars in seven to eight years anyway because they're going to stop making parts for it. And that's the bigger problem. You guys got to wake up and smell the coffee. We're more, we're more concerned with oil drain intervals, what the president paid for taxes 15 years ago, and everything else than you know, the hard realities of you want to get a car to last longer? Take care of it. Maintain it. Check the tires on a regular basis. Check the fluid levels on a regular basis. Change the trans fluid, the brake fluid. Service the drive line. Look at the belts and hoses. Yeah, even on a newer car, things happen. It doesn't hurt to have an eye under the hood. You've still got to do maintenance. An oil drain interval seems to have people thinking that they're free. All I think about is, you know, yeah, I'm free, I'm free, I don't have to do anything anymore. And you don't. You don't have to do anything until the car stops, and then it's going to be a more expensive, bigger repair bill. Again, I'm with it, all right? You want to drain the oil You know, on a longer interval? Make sure you've got a rated filter. Make sure you've got rated oil. Make sure you're checking the oil on a regular basis. It's like 1963 all over again. Family vacation. Every time my dad stopped, we checked the oil. I remember that. How many people remember that? You're gonna. Ha you're, we're heading back in that direction. And um, I just want to make them aware. And for the guys on BobIsTheOilGuy.com, I'll be there. Look for me. 855-560-9900. Let's pull over and take a pause. We'll return after that to open up the phone lines, which are really backed up. We're really going to rock and roll this hour, so stick around. I'm Ron Anini in the Car Doctor. Hey, welcome back. Ron Anini in the Car Doctor, 855-560-9900. Let's get over to Lisa from Minnesota, 87 Ford F-150, and some problems with an oil pressure gauge. Lisa, welcome to the Car Doctor. How can I help? Hi. Well, I'm hoping you can help. Um, this is a Ford F-150, and it didn't have a good engine in it when I bought it. Okay. I bought it knowing that. Right. Um, my mechanic had seen this car before, so I asked him if this truck was worth putting a new engine in, and he said yes. Okay. So uh, th this is the third engine. He had to go down to the Twin Cities and buy this one himself. Uh, by the way, both of you are priceless. Uh, anyway, <laughs> there's there's one little oddball thing he cannot fix because he says all, all he can figure out is we got to find an old truck with the right part. He called it a valve resistor, so I'm, I'm wondering if maybe there's a way to bypass this. A valve. It, it goes under. Go ahead. It goes under the hood. And it's uh, a little little tiny uh, rectangular looking thing with two holes in the sides. Then it's got two connectors, a male and a female, coming off of each side. Are you it looks kind of like the thing I plug my computer into. Are you talking about a ballast resistor? I'm not sure uh, if, if it's a ballast resistor or what, but it, I, I was told it's a resistor, and without it, the oil gauge always reads high oil pressure, even though my oil pressure is normal. Where, where, where is this part, Lisa? It, where's it lo it's, uh, it's located under the hood? Is it part of the wiring harness? It, it, it's under the hood somewhere near the engine block. It, the, the, little, the little boxy thing melted. Okay. Now, you're, you're not... I took, a, I took a picture of it. I still have the piece at home, and, and it, it's, there's not much to it. Like I said, it's can you a little, little tiny thing. Can you put, Tom, Tom, can she post on the Facebook page? She has the authority to do that? Lisa, can you post it up on the Ron and Amy and the Car Doctor Facebook page so we can get a picture of it? I probably could, but not right now because yeah. I'm not home. Yeah, no, no, when you're home, and then I'll look at it over the weekend, and I'll, I'll get back to you on, on Facebook. How's that sound? 
just okay. so just so I know what I'm dealing with. Because if it's an and it's not, this isn't the piece that screws into the engine, right? This isn't the oil pressure sender itself. No, it, it, it's got a male and a female plug. Just and and they're about the same size. Like I said, of the wire I use to plug my speaker into my computer. Okay. Okay, I'm, uh, I'm sure it can exactly be exactly the same. Listen, I'm Stuff sure it can them. be. I'm sure it can be replicated. Uh, you know, there's an. I'm sure there's ways out there to create and put an oil pressure gauge in this. You know what? There's guys out there. If if, if we're restoring clusters on seventy-two Monte Carlos and eighty-five Ford trucks and everything else, I'm sure there's a way to replicate this. Uh, you know, the other possibility. What I've learned as I'm going through the Monte Carlo repair. Is just Google search 87 F-150 oil pressure gauge repair and see what comes up and if anybody's providing aftermarket parts or a source for it. You know, it's uh, thank God for the Internet. You couldn't restore a car without it anymore. But let me get a okay. picture. Let me, let me see a picture of this, and I can give you better information on what it is you're looking for, whether it's something, you know, maybe you could find it at O'Reilly Auto Parts or maybe it's going to be something that you've got to go to the obsolete Ford place in uh, Ohio. I think it's Green Ford. Green Ford. Let me think about this. Greenfordparts.com, if I remember correctly, they carry obsolete. Okay. They carry obsolete Ford stuff. And if anybody, yeah, my mechanic did do it, a they, search, and it, he was the one who told me it was obsolete. Yeah, if it's obsolete, Green, I think it's Greenfordparts.com. They're in Ohio, if memory serves me correct. If you just Google search obsolete Ford parts, obsolete Ford parts or Green Ford, it will come up, and um, you, you can find it that way. And we've we've talked about them over the years and everybody seems to be happy with them they tend to have everything they buy dealer clothes out and uh, they tend to hang on to older stuff um a lot longer all than right. anybody else all right all right great that right. that that helps me out a lot okay. uh, i'd like to say one other real quick thing though before i go, go um i i've gone i was hearing you talk about kids today i've got four kids before they left home, every one of them rotated their own tires and knows where every fluid goes under the hood and how to check it. And thank God for mom because mom made him a strong, independent person, and that's what it's all about, right? You know, it's yeah. It's and that's My, I, I've got a daughter who's told me the skills have come in handy already because she's been out in the middle of nowhere and had a flat tire and had to change it herself. Yeah, she had no cell phone signal. And you know what? We're worried about our kids coming out of high school and they don't know how to balance a checkbook, much less know how to change a tire or, or when an oil change is due. And we've made them so much less self-sufficient than we have of kids of the past. And um, you know what? Being tough on your kids are, is the hardest thing a parent ever has to do, and it's, it's it pays off in the long run. So, Lisa, yes, it does. Lisa, I want to wish you the best, and you have yourself a good weekend. You post that picture, and I'll do what I can to help you, and uh, we'll get this thing resolved, all right? All right. Thank you very much. You're very welcome. You take good care. Let's get on over and talk to Jeff from Pennsylvania with an 01 Saturn and some problems with the way the car runs. Jeff, welcome to the car, doctor, sir. How can I help? Okay, good afternoon. Yes, uh, thanks for taking my call. You're welcome. Uh, I, uh, I step on the accelerator, and uh, the RPMs will drop off down below two and sometimes one, and the car will go real slow. And, uh, and uh, when you go up a, a hill or even a slight grade, the car will stall. Okay. Uh, when you, uh, you can restart it right after this happens, but then it will just keep doing the same thing. If you leave the car shut off for a while or a few minutes and then restart it, uh, you can drive down the road a short distance, uh, but then it will start doing it again. Uh, back, I don't know if it was at the end of January or February when this first started happening, it didn't happen too often. Uh, he would even, uh, you know, drive it, uh, just keeps restarting, and then it would pull out of this problem, and it wouldn't do it, you know, for many miles. You can drive it, and 
before it would happen again. But now it's happened more frequently to the point where I can't even, you know, get about a mile from my house or just a couple of blocks it starts happening. Jeff, is, uh, it, a, is, it, it, is, it, is it a heat-related problem? Is it more likely to happen when the vehicle's warmed up, or will it do it when it's cold also? It'll do it when it's cold also. Okay. Uh, you know, just go a couple blocks when I had just started it, and it, it will start doing it. Right, but it won't, it won't do it right out of the driveway. You still have to go those couple of blocks. Yes. Okay. And what's anybody yeah. done to diagnose it, or has anybody attempted a diagnosis? Uh, I took point? it to where I have it serviced, and they did a uh, they checked the electrical system. Uh, they said that, that that's not the problem. Uh, they did an engine diagnostic on it, and they... Uh, they said that they couldn't find anything. They said it wasn't a computer code problem or anything like okay, that. Okay, so let me ask you this. Did they did they duplicate the problem when they ran their diagnostic? Uh, no. As okay. far as I know, they didn't. Right. Uh, even they even, uh, I took it there three times for the same problem. Uh, the third time, they test drove it before they even worked on it. For, they said they drove it for 15 miles, and, not, and not, it didn't happen to them. So, I don't understand so, why. so, so it's an intermittent dying yeah. out problem, or is it every time you but drive it? it? But it has hap started happening more frequently. Okay. Uh, and uh, they thought maybe what would help they they changed the oxygen sensor on it, uh, and they also did a change the idle motor on it. And they thought maybe that would solve the problem, but okay. it hasn't. Right. So you know, it's it's it sounds like they're they're well. I don't I don't want to judge anybody, but it doesn't sound like they're really good at diagnosing. Diagnosing, uh, you know, first rule. All right, and the way this has to be explained, this is no different than going to the doctor, Jeff. You know, Jeff, we can't duplicate the problem. Here's our best educated guess, or, you know, we've done some research. There's a bunch of sources out there for mechanics today for pattern failures and commonalities. And here's what the top three rated fixes are, and they're all under $200. Which one do you want to guess at? I mean, there's a bunch of ways to go here. I can tell you the most common pattern failure, all right, and it's sort of common knowledge for these cars. Uh, you know, and obviously I'm, I'm, I'm jumping ahead. You know, are the battery cables clean and tight? I always look at battery cables and everything I diagnose. Is the alternator charging correctly? I always double-check the alternator. You'd be surprised what an alternator can do today. Uh, last, uh, you know, the most common failure crank position sensor they get a little bit warm the more they warm up the more they'll cause the failure what the mechanic will typically see is either lack of injector pulse lack of spark or both so it's a matter of if they can duplicate the problem and either that or scope the crank sensor and watch it fail chances are they're going to end up wanting to put a crank sensor in it make sure they use something oe level quality because they are a known problem out in the industry try that call me back i'm on naming the car doctor we'll return right after this That's right, that's me. I just want to bang on the drum all day. Ron and Andy and the Car Doctor, 855-560-9900. Wouldn't it be nice if all you had to do was just bang on the drum all day and you didn't have to fix cars? Actually, I'd be bored. I love fixing cars. That's what I do. Let's get over and talk to Tim. Let's see if we can fix his 08 Chevy Silverado. Some problems with the brake lights. Tim, how are things up there in Flint, Michigan this afternoon? What's going on? Oh, they're cloudy. It's cloudy and rainy. Yeah, though I think that's headed our way to New Jersey, so uh, we're kind of looking forward to it. If it turns into snow, I got the plow and the big truck. I'm ready to go. There you go. What's cooking, kiddo? Uh, two years ago, I bought this Chevy truck, great truck, and uh, long story short, I put on the brake pedal at that time. The brake lights would come on and then go and then go off. And um, even when I hold my foot on the pedal. Okay. You still there? Okay. Yeah. 
And so what I figured out, I got online looking, reading, and I figured it out. It was a brake switch, no big deal. Brake switch, put it on, problem solved. A year later, I am going down the highway. My wife's behind me. She says, do you have your foot on a brake? No, all your brake lights are on. You know, regular brake lights, the third brake light on the cab. Huh. So I just tapped the brake, it went off. Kind of, kind of reverse problem in a way. Right. Uh, so I looked online again. I thought, man, could that switch go bad in the year? Which, yeah, it can, I know. But I ran across something online, and it said the rod between the switch and the master cylinder needs to be adjusted. That's my main question. Is that an adjustable rod? Is that, would you, uh, over the phone, guess that that could be another switch? Which I already bought one before I'm going to put it on. I thought I'd try this, run it by you, and see what you thought about a rod adjustment. Well... I would say no, because I'd want to know what changed. Did, did something change? Now, what, what engine's in this, Tim? Give me some backup information. Is this a 5.3 or a 6.0? 5.3. And is this HydroBoost, or is this a vacuum power booster? Vacuum. Okay. You know, something's got to change there for that to happen. Yeah. And, you know, I don't buy that. The brake light switch that's on this, is it a traditional push-pull switch? No, this is the type with the little finger that sticks down. Which one is it? Uh, it it's uh, it, it, The rod comes from the firewall, and then it's a switch, and then just a plug. And you know, a 10-millimeter bolt holds it on, the, the pedal. Okay, so the, the rod goes where? Into the switch. <clears throat> uh, yeah, it, well, the rod bolts to the brake pedal. And then the switch broke, uh, bolts the brake pedal also to hold it, I guess. And right, then the right. switch. And the switch has a plunger on it that you step on the pedal, it releases the plunger out of the switch body. Yeah, I guess. I guess. Yeah, it, it, I'm thinking old school plunger, but it has a where the rod hits a piece on the switch itself. It's not really a plunger; it's just a, I guess, a sensor. You know, like it's, like it's, your two like your two fingers pointing straight down. It just catches in between a piece of steel, and that's what yeah. triggers it. Right. 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 This is a, this is, if you took that old switch off, it would actually spin three quarters of the way around and then snap back, correct? Right. Yeah. This is, this is, <laughs> this is really neat stuff. This is, what they're doing is they're, they're looking at the acceleration rate of your foot to help judge in, in a panic situation. They're looking at, um, it's a brake light switch. Um, I think of it as a brake light switch potentiometer. They're looking at, you know, rate of, pedal application to help make decisions in regard to other things, ABS control, traction control, that type of thing. It's not a simple on-off brake light switch anymore. There is actually a bulletin from GM dated August 14th, on oh, my birthday, 2009. That's how I remember this one. Um, uh, bulletin 0808420003A, where the brake lights turn off after the pedal's applied. All right? And that's, that, what happened, that's what happened first. Right. That was the first problem. And they've, they've actually released, at the time, they released a new switch to correct that. Now, where did you get your replacement switch from? A dealership. Okay. Do you remember the part number, or do you know the part number? Yes, I do. I have it right here. I think I bought it this morning, and I even looked on the, the uh, build date, or make date, or however you want to say it. 2598 because that was the number back on the bulletin from 2009. It was it was the 09s. I remember this. Um, one that, five eight six. I'm sorry. One five eight six one two. I kind of tore the package to get it open. All right. Write this. Uh, just you, just just write this part number down. Just make sure the part number you have cross references to the part number that you 
that you purchased. What I'm saying is if that replacement switch that you bought a year ago was was old stock, you may have a problem here because you may have you may have an older switch, you may have something else. Just let's start with a correct switch, 2598-1009. Okay. Is what's on the bulletin from 2009. All right? And I'm sure the way General Motors supersedes part numbers, I'm sure it's superseded 12 times, and it's it could very well be the switch you have in your hand. But I want to make sure of that. All right. Okay. You know that's. And I see the OE date was one thirty of seventeen. Okay, so that's yeah, that's probably the most current. When the dealer looked it up, did they take your VIN? Did they look it up by VIN or by year, make, model? Year, make, model. Okay. Um, just double check it because I I I still like to look a lot of my parts up by you know VIN. And they would need the last eight digits of the VIN to do that. And I'm surprised. Okay. I'm surprised that a dealership parts department they didn't ask you what the VIN was, in order okay. to do this. So I would just verify that, and and just make certain you've got the right switch. That being said, I would start with a switch. Switches are still very common. You know what? I could I could bore you guys for the next two hours with conversations about new Delco parts that I put in. New means never ever worked, and sure enough, they didn't. And uh, you know I'm still battling with Delco over a few things, and I've I've taken a not a bad view of Delco, but a judgmental view of Delco in the last year that I'm questioning some of their stuff. It just doesn't seem to work. It's not what it once was. So how don't, do you feel about uh, aftermarket? Uh, you know O'Reilly's advance, all that kind of. You know what? I'm starting to open my mind to it because I'm seeing cases in situations like this where. Heck, I had a Delco ignition switch in, a, in an 07 Chevy Trailblazer a couple of months back. I talked about it here on air, where the Delco switch kept having repeated failures. Put an aftermarket switch in, I think, from BWD. Car's out there uh, six months, seven months. Haven't seen it. Car's fine. Uh, you know, so it's it's just because it's Delco doesn't make it right anymore. I'm learning to I'm learning to look at that. Uh, you know, it's it's whether they've grown too fast and they're going through a rough patch. Uh, you know, it's. I was talking to someone from Wix Filters the other day, and we were talking about parts, and I was telling him the Delco story, and he goes, wow, that's pretty amazing that the, 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 the manufacturer-specific OE stuff is having issues and the aftermarket is gaining ground. And I said, yeah, because I think the aftermarket's paying more attention right now. Um, oh. So don't, don't, don't assume just because it's Delco or new that it, um, it's a good piece. But I would definitely take, uh, take a hard look at that switch and change it. Now, last piece of technical information. If you go down to that switch, all right, at the, at the stop lamp, you should have 12 volts on the orange-white wire coming out from the body control module. Okay. If you do and you jump that orange-white to the purple wire at the brake switch connector, the lights should go out. And if, mm, if okay. they do, change the brake switch. Okay. All right. Make sure you use a fuse jumper when you do that. All right. Want to protect okay. the circuits. All right, sir. Do that and give me a call right. back and let me know how we make out. Thank you. You're very welcome, Tim. Good luck to you. 855-560-9900. How many years have I been saying that number? Now, do you know your name at least? Yeah, I know my name. Ron Anini and the car doctor. Okay, eight, good. 855-560-9900. By the way, that's Barry White on the board today, folks. I just want to let you know that we uh, resuscitated him from the No, no, no. From the Barry has been dead for over 13 years. Yeah. This is Tony Atwood. Yeah, that's right. So, and, and by the way, not a lot of difference. you can go to the car doctor website, which people should do anyway, and and you can see both of us. We're the, we're the two handsome ones. Yeah, right. Yes. So, in your dreams. 855-560-9900. Myself, Tom, and Barry White will all be back right after this. Hey, 
Hey, welcome back. We're on the car doctor. Let's uh, get over and talk to Bill in Massachusetts. A 55 DeSoto. Gee, I think that's a good year. Um, how are you, Bill? Welcome to the car doctor, sir. What's going on? I have a 1955 DeSoto. It's a positive ground system. Okay. Uh, we had the wiring redone about a year ago. The car's been running good on the new wiring. Um, what happened is we've lost generator output. Uh, when we're running. So we took the generator out. We had it rebuilt. The uh, guy tested it on his bench, and it's working fine on the bench. We put it in the car, and we get no output. Okay. We also replaced the voltage regulator, the starter relay, and several other things. All right. So then we've got to have a wiring issue, no? Well, I ring out all the wires. They're all... They all check continuity. Right. They, they're all going to the correct places per the diagram. Uh, and they're all new. And I, I, I'm at a loss to, as we've had the generator out three times and back to the, uh, the repair shop. And each time they put it back on their test stand and it's, it's outputting on the test stand. You put it in the car and it will not output. Oh, this is a great problem. A broken car that we can't fix. So, now I'm trying to remember a generator. A generator didn't, but I guess they initialized it because it's charging on the test stand. Yes. Right. So it can't be that. So then I've got to think there's something inherent in the vehicle. Are we missing a ground or a connection somewhere that was once there and now isn't? But you're saying you've been all through the wiring harness. Yes, yes. And it ran for a year. It ran after, f- the, new, after the new wiring harness. Okay. Well, you know, new doesn't mean good. I mean, we go back to that. But I'm wondering, mm-hmm. I'm wondering if we're missing a ground, ground between, a ground connection between the battery itself and the body of the vehicle. That's there. That was there. That is good. I ran a continuity test on that also. I'm just thinking, um, you know, if it was a charging system, if it was an alternator or generator, it doesn't matter. If the alternator is verified as good, if the voltage regulator is verified as good, um, in this case, if the the generator has been initialized and the wiring is good, where would I go? Um, Now, let me ask you this. Can they check that regulator? Do they have the ability to test that regulator? Yes. We also, on one of the trips, we also gave them the regulator. They put it in the circuit on their test stand with our generator. And it worked. And they say, yeah, it worked. Okay. So we know it's not the generator and the regulator. Yes. These cars were noted for uh, ink gauge failures. Right. Fails, it can go right to ground. I bypassed it per the old car manual. You can jump jump it out so you don't have it in the system, and it still did the same thing. Now, is it possible that? Now, let me ask you this: Did the amp gauge fail? The amp gauge uh, when you start it up, the amp gauge goes to the negative side a little, 
and on a normal procedure, and then after the engine's running, it would come up and show a little bit of charge where it had just drawn on the battery. Okay. So the, amp, so the amp gauge theoretically was still working at the time of the charging system failure? Yes, yes. That's how we initially discovered it, that the amp gauge was, was going directly to, to the negative side when you started to run the car. Okay. Do you have this wiring diagram available to email, Bill? I can get it and email it to you. Would you? Because I'll, I'll, I want to look at this. I'll figure this out for you. Okay. Um, uh, send me an email, Ron at CarDoctorShow.com, because I'm up. Yes. Against, I'm up against the clock. The clock's going to grab me, and I can't. Okay. I, I can't give you a lot of time right this second. But I want to look at this wiring diagram. Um, I want to talk about. You know, it, it, it's not because the generator and the regulator is in the car. <laughs> okay. Yeah. You know, if we if we if we hand built a wiring harness, I'm sure they would charge. So the problem has to be in the in in the harness itself. We just got to figure out where and how to attack it. So I'm looking for information okay. on the wiring harness for that vehicle. Send me an email, and I will get back to you. We'll correspond by email, and we'll update the listeners here on air and as well as on Facebook for anybody that's interested in the coming weeks. How's that sound? Okay. Just remember this is a positive ground system. Right. Put that in your email, but I'll remember it. All right? Okay. And just tell me year, make, model, because I talk to so many people with so many cars during the course of the week. All right, okay. sir? Yes, sir. Okay, Bill. Thank you, and we'll uh, we'll we'll get it fixed. No worries. Eight five 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 six zero nine nine zero zero. Ron and Andy, the car doctor. Right after this, we're back. Hey, welcome back, Ron and Andy, the car doctor. Let's get in our last call this hour. Tony, Wisconsin, 09 Honda CRV. How can I help? Hi, my name is Tony. I am the 2009 CRV, and I have a mouse problem in my CRV. Okay. What's happening? Um, I look on the internet and try to figure out, and a lot of people are having this problem with like. 2005 to 2011 kind of CRVs. Yep. But it says to take the call off and cover the holes with a mesh type thing um, for the like the air intakes. Yeah. Right down around the base Underneath of the cowl. Yep. Okay. So all I do is take that off and then apply this mesh on those holes that go into the inside of the car. Right. They're just trying to prevent, because that's the that's the air entry point. They're just trying to prevent the animal entry point. Probably the other thing I would use here is Honda Honda makes specifically, it's called Honda rodent tape. Yep. Because the other thing you got to think about is if they're no longer getting into the cabin filter and they're still attracted to the car, what, yep. what, what part of the wiring harness are they chewing on? Exactly what I'm worried about. Because right. there is a... They have a nest inside the call on the outside of the car. Follow me? Yeah. No, I I get you. They make a it, it's called Honda Rodent Tape. You can actually get it online. Mm -hmm. I've I've purchased it myself on Amazon, but you can get it at the local Honda dealer. Um they call it Honda Rodent Tape, or that's how I refer to it. It's it's part number four oh one nine dash twenty three seventeen. And basically it's got like a, a peppery taste. To the tape, you would have to get the car up in the air, wrap the wiring harnesses underneath the vehicle in it, and then, you know, maybe okay. around your point of entry where the cabin filter air intake goes, put some there, and, um, you know, hopefully that'll slow them down. So, you know, in the old days, okay. I would tell somebody use mothballs in a plastic bag and punch some holes in the, in the, in the plastic bag with an ice pick and mm -hmm. see what that gets for you. But, you know, Honda kind of stepped up to the plate here, and I think they've come out with a better idea. The rodent tape does work. We use it in the shop all the time. All right, Tony? All right. Very good. Thank you very good much. Luck to you, sir. sir. You're very welcome. You take good care. I'm Ron and Andy and the Car Doctor. Hey, next week, 
Next week, the big TST event up there in Westchester for all our brother technicians and shop owners. If you're out that way at the Westchester Marriott, we're broadcasting live from there with Jerry Trulli and the gang. But till then, till the next time, I'm Ron Anini and the Car Doctor reminding you, your mechanics aren't expensive, they're priceless. See ya. See ya.